The Fantasy Focus Football Podcast is presented by GEICO. Whether you rent or own, GEICO makes it easy to bundle home and auto insurance. Go to GEICO.com today. Fantasy, you're in the 06010. For the final time, the final time during the 2018-2019 NFL season, you have heard that music. You know what it wow. is, the Fantasy Focus Football Podcast. What a year it has been. Again, we thank you for your loyal dedication to downloading but not actually listening to our just tiny little pop-up shop type podcast, Field Yates and Mike Clay hanging out with you today. Mike, good morning, my friend. Good morning. I'm kind of honored. The last episode of the season? Save I the can't best believe for it. last. Name another That's cliche what I'm that applies <laughs> that makes us look awesome, makes everybody else look like slackers. No, we kid. We've had some weird, crazy weather in New England over the past few days. It's actually warming up. To eight degrees later on today. So it's been bitterly cold. There's been ice. There's been snow. The point is Matthew Stefania, they're down in Tampa for FSTA, which is the week that I'm sure is a very enjoyable one for all those that are part of the fantasy community. They're in warmer weather, but because of travel rains, we had to push yesterday's show up to today. Mike and I are still here. It's been goofy, but we promise to give you our best recap of the past couple of days. And Mike, could the NFL have asked for anything more when it comes to drama on Sunday in the AFC and the NFC Championship games. Well, I'm, I'm going to give you a shout-out right out of the gate because yes. you, you tweeted something. I think it was uh, Sunday morning, maybe? Yes. And yeah. you posted Drake's Instagram post where he said that both game he put he had the shirt right? right for those who may not yeah, know the you, you do the Drake, backstory you do the Drake backstory. is of course Toronto's finest and one of the most popular figures and just like the public now like not just in sure. a rap like the guy is incredibly well liked and well known he has rooted for several teams in high leverage moments and has infamously also rooted for the team that went on to lose Alabama football he showed up a game they lose Kentucky basketball he shows up they lose. Of course, he's always been there when the Raptors have hosted the Cavs. And, of course, that was during the LeBron James era. But they always lost as well. So the Drake curse has become a thing. And so Drake, on late Saturday night, posted a picture of himself on his Instagram story wearing a sweatshirt that across his chest and then going diagonally down had each of the logos of the four teams still up in Championship Sunday. Right, so he can't curse them. But you tweeted Sunday, this means both games will be a tie. And sure enough, they were both... Ties. I mean, I mean, as, but, as close to a tie as you could possibly right, be. They both got no closer ties. So I sat there and I think to you myself, like, you I was it. like, this is hilarious. Like, it's. I don't like when you laugh at your own tweets normally because I don't typically do that. But I was like, wow. Like, I totally did not mean that when I actually posted. I was trying to be funny, and it turned it turned out to look very precious. But let's well, begin. well, thank you because I re, I tweeted it and said you nailed it or something. It got like. I don't know, 3,000 likes or something. So good impressions for my account. That is helps that right? my brand. You're helping my What's brand. What's good for so Mike Clay you. is good for me. What's good for Mike Clay is good for everybody. Mike, let's begin <laughs> with the NFC game. We'll just go chronologically here. And again, like fantasy ties-wise, listen, there's going to be so much content this offseason. We don't necessarily need to rehash whether Drew Brees should have gone higher or lower or should have been in your championship lineup or not. General impressions from this New Orleans game. Let's start with where everybody else is talking. Do you have a separate spin, a different take, an opinion that might be something you haven't heard over the past 36 or so hours about the call that wasn't. I don't. I mean, uh, it was, it was, it was bad. I mean, they got, uh, they're probably going to win that game if yeah. it goes their way. It's unfortunate. Um, but I will say this. This is the one thing that, uh, I, I posted and got a lot of pushback on was 
great job by the Rams. I mean, especially you, you thought they were a lot of people thought they would go in there and get beat. They were actually you started to feel some pressure on McVay coming into the playoffs. Like he hasn't actually won a playoff game yet. Is he overrated? All of his underlings are getting jobs. And he put that to bed quickly. So it was a tough environment. You heard it on TV. It was extremely loud. Impressive playoff run so far by the Rams. A successful season. And uh, man, to go in there and beat this Saints team, even with the call, I get it. They still played well. They were in it. They won the game. Let's rehash what happened after that call. Because after that no call, the Saints kicked a field goal. They took a three-point lead at home where they had been arguably the best defense in the NFL the second half of the season, other than maybe the Bears and the Ravens. One of the five best defenses in football in the second half of the year. The Saints, at home, three-point lead, loudest crowd in sports that day, or at least, you know, very loud crowd. It was loud. (laughs) They did not, they had an opportunity to just slam the door shut, and the Rams came back, kicked a field goal, and 48 yards for Greg Zerline is, as we'll find out later, very makeable, but still, as you said, the Rams come back, tie that game. They go to overtime. The Saints get the ball again at home, win the coin toss. And what happens? Drew Brees, who had thrown one pick, one, at home the entire regular season, was picked off for the second time in the playoffs on a play where Dante Fowler gets pressure. John Johnson, product of BC, makes the reception. Mike, I'm with you. I get it that I look at this game as a series of missed opportunities during the first 58 minutes for the Saints to win that game. They were should have been up 20 to nothing at the end of the first quarter, not mm-hmm. 13 to nothing. Yep, or 13 right. to three. Credit. That's the part that I sort of regret on, on, on you know over the past 36 hours that the narrative has been so dramatically in the, the corner of the play that was you know, the the call that was not the Rams. Battled, man. Mm-hmm. Like that, that, that's a they gritty did. win. That was the best. I thought the Rams looked vulnerable in the last quarter of the season. They lose twice to the Eagles and the Bears, and they come back in a major way there. Hats off to the Rams doing it in a formula, Mike, that is super different than what they did during the first 10 or so weeks. You know, question, and we get caught up in recency bias all the time. You start panicking all the time. You see power rankings. We do them here at ESPN. Yeah. They swing all over the place. Teams go from number one to number 10, back up to number one. Two weeks later, we got caught up in momentum, which is just a fabricated term for the most part. You know, it's just, it's, it's crazy. But uh, from top to bottom, just an outstanding team. I was actually doing some Super Bowl research. If you add touchdowns to field goal attempts, essentially scoring opportunities, right? They average the Rams 6.1 per game this season. That is most in the NFL. 5 plus in 17 out of 18 games, 6 plus in 13 out of 18. The Patriots, who they're going to play in the Super Bowl, average 5.1, just to show you that large of a gap. Not only do they score a ton of touchdowns more per game than the Patriots this season, they're second in the league in the regular season. They were in field goal attempts as well. They, Sean McVay, Knows how to get that team in scoring position, and we saw it. They got there just enough to beat the beat the Saints. So who I thought was the best team in the NFL. They were my Super Bowl pick since the summer, the spring. I mean, Mine I as well, not since make the summer, run. the spring. But I had them during our, you know, at the when the playoffs began, we submitted a bracket of who we thought would win each sure, game, sure. and mine eventually landed on the Saints over the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. That's why I had I had I had Patriots Saints preseason. I adjusted. I went Chiefs this past week. Stick, stick with your gut. That's Mike. okay. Yeah, I should have. What, what was weird here about the Rams win and. He said after the game he just played sorry. But Todd Gurley was limited to, what, 10 mm-hmm. total yards on Sunday? He had two uncharacteristic drops. Now he did find the end zone. A little bit of a saving grace there for him. What do you make of Gurley's relative lack of production? Do you attribute it to, like, are you team 
Todd Gurley is hurt? Are you team Todd Gurley's not playing well? Or are you team C.J. Anderson should have been the NFL MVP this year? <laughs> I am team uh, when you're running into uh, nickel and dime every time, you're going to have uh, some pretty good rushing numbers. Todd Gurley did not have that in the Jeff Fisher era. He has had that in the Sean McVay era. They run 11 more than anybody in the NFL. We know that. We've actually seen a little bit more lean towards um, two tight end sets lately, but not not much. They still have Josh Reynolds out there as their receiver most plays. And C.J. Anderson has been better over the past month. He's averaging 5.7 yards per carry. Gurley on the year, 5.0. Anderson, after initial contact, 2.66, one of the best in the NFL. Gurley, 2.06, which is good. But Anderson is just outplaying him, and he's facing more in-box defenders on average as well. So the fact is they're going with the quote-unquote hot hand, if you want to buy into that. Anderson has been better right now. Maybe Gurley's not 100%, but hey, it's an offense that's set up for running back success, and Anderson has shown that. Yeah, he has been awesome, and it's a really great story. He's a good back, and I just say this, Mike, and again, this is a fantasy podcast, and we're evaluating conference championship games, but... I find that a lot of times, you know, part of the reason why sports has played such an influential role in my life is just the lessons that they have learned that transcend sports. And CJ Anderson is a great testament to like, if you've got a dream, chase it, man. He was told no by three separate teams really this year, right? I mean, he gets cut by the Broncos in April, mm-hmm. unceremoniously, we might add, right? I mean, the, not even like right before the draft or right after free agency, like April 12th, that was a couple, it was May 12th, maybe it was. Anyways, my point is this. I think it was the first day of the organized team activities for the Broncos. The point was it was not a normal window for a player to be cut, right? Mm-hmm. Being cut's part of the business in the NFL. Typically, though, it's, hey, right at the beginning of the new league year so they can create cap space. Maybe it's right at the end of training camp because it's a final roster cut. The guy gets cut by the Broncos, signed by the Panthers, cut by the Panthers after 21 carries, signed by his hometown Oakland Raiders. He gets a chance to go live with his mom for a few days. Mm-hmm. He gets. He spends five days there. Five days. Yeah, they couldn't find a, a use for him. Yeah. Couldn't find a use for him. And here he is. He's got a chance to get a second Super Bowl ring in his career. And you know, listen, is is the reality that this is going to you know turn into a starting opportunity for CJ Anderson next year? No, it's not. But he may have found a home for himself in Los Angeles for at least a couple of seasons. Good for him for finding some vitality in his NFL career and continuing to do what he loves. Yeah, just keep in mind from a fantasy perspective, he'll probably get drafted in a lot of leagues next year because he'll probably re-sign with the Rams, I would think, right? I don't think that there's so many voids of running back out there that he's going to get paid a lot to move, to switch teams. Sure. Maybe it, it maybe it'll happen. I'm sure the Eagles want to Garrett Blunt back. He got a good deal from the Lions last year. Maybe that happens, but I think the Rams will try to bring him back as the number 2 to Gurley and maybe he'll even steal some touches. I actually flip-flop my ranks for next year. Right? I put Barkley 1 Moved, Bar- moved uh, Gurley down a little bit. Hot I take, mean, hot take. Yeah, I don't, it's not crazy. I think Barkley no, will be the one point one. I think he'll it's, be the consensus after this past month. I'm, I'm, I'm not surprised. Uh, I don't. You know, the only person that I could see and actually have him there myself right now, maybe moving into one one, is Zeke. Only yeah. because I think people are going to like when we step back, people start to realize like how you got the job done this year, and to think that like what Zeke's one limitation was this year was rushing touchdowns, which is I think you are most likely to be able to count on from mm-hmm. him year to year. And he adds 81 catches this past season. I think Zeke, Barkley, Gurley are probably going to be the three players that we yeah. discussed. And you could, in maybe the most McCaffrey. Yeah. Maybe McCaffrey, yeah. too, because he's a bad. But then again, I could also see them adding a running back this time around and sticking yeah. with it. And they should. Like, oh, now we're nervous. You <laughs> 95% know? of the snaps or whatever. That's crazy talk. Yeah. Anything else? Any, any thoughts to close the circle on the NFC game that you want to mention before we move on to what was an equally dramatic AFC game? Uh, I'll just say this. Uh, if Breeze is back, I think the Saints will be back. 
They're they're still very good. Most guys are resigned. The core's there. I think they make another run. They're too talented top to bottom. Yeah, and I think that really for the Saints, like the the goal this offseason is to not even keep the band back together back to uh, keep the band together because there's nowhere for a lot of these guys to go, right? Like the notable free agents on offense include Ingram. Mark Ingram. But in terms of skill guys, like nobody else that you're saying to yourself, like, okay, they they can't do without that player. Ben Watson's retiring, but you know they get production in different ways from the tight end spot. They've got Alvin Kamara, Mike Thomas on rookie deals. The offensive line is very good. Uh, Traquan Smith, in theory, should be an improved player in year two. Keith Kirkwood, guys like that should be more developed. And then defensively, it's basically the core that has been around for the past year and a half that has turned to be one of the very good ones. Yeah, no question. They'll get uh, Sheldon Rankins back that for week one. Hopefully, yeah. uh, Patrick Robinson will be back. Remember, they signed Marcus him to Davenport lock the Davenport should slot. be a much bigger player for them yeah. next year, their first-round pick this year. Yeah, I do think uh, if if they need, have a priority in the offseason, it is finding more solid weapons for Drew Brees. I, I mean, actually think that, that was, was depth was an issue. This year. Yeah, I mean, when you're relying, there's a reason you're relying on Keith Kirkwood and maybe Traquan Smith wasn't ready yet. You saw him kind of up and down. Maybe Des Bryant comes back. We'll see. Cam Meredith didn't work out. Austin Carr. I mean, it's Simi Cobbs on the active roster by the end of the season. You mentioned tight end. They need to get him some more reliable weapons at at a pass catcher. You know, we talk about this a lot in basketball where like playoff lineups can be different. Like guys that are killing it during the regular season kind of come back down to earth in the postseason. And I think something is, there's something to be said for that in, in the NFL as well, right? Like the Saints were able to, I think, not get by because they were more than getting by this year. They're what the number two offense in football this season, number three offense in football, at least in terms of points per game this year. Because, you know, that offense, although it lacked top end talent beyond Mike Thomas and Alvin Kamara, specifically amongst pass catchers, like, all right, teams that have seven days to get ready for the Saints, it's going to be hard to scheme mm-hmm. up all the ways to slow down all the players that, you know, are all so great, et cetera. My point is this is just like, you know, clearly there are like, there's a need this offseason to try to like beef up the wide receiver group in 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 New Orleans, or at least just develop the guys that are there. Uh, they have limited draft capital, no first, no third, no fourth round pick this year, and mm-hmm. cap wise, they're pretty like they kind of have who they have, but they'll find a way. Pretty resourceful group there in New Orleans. Yeah, and you're right. Speaking of coming back to earth, five of their past five of their last seven games, they scored two or fewer touchdowns. It kind of sure. the wheels kind of fell off in terms of the ability to score a touchdown. So. I'm with you. Yeah. And, and they kind of sold out for this year, even trading for Teddy Bridgewater in case Breeze went down the third round pick. Doesn't look so hot now, but you want that security blanket at quarterback. And yeah. uh, he's going to be a fun story this offseason. We'll see where he lands. Uh, yeah. I think he probably ends up somewhere else, right? I mean, like too much money available for him elsewhere yeah, no to question. stay in uh, New Orleans, unless it was, Hey, Drew Brees has said, I'm retiring after 2020 yeah. and we're signing you to a deal that gives you enough financial security and upside to stick around for 2020 and beyond. I think he's probably gone though. All right. Patriots, Chiefs, equally exciting. Just a thrilling game, Mike. Another overtime game as we discussed. The final score is 37 to 31. Before we get inside the game itself, the other big question people have been asking is, all right. Should the overtime rules in the NFL be adapted specifically in the playoffs? What side of the ledger do you fall on there? I fall on yes, change it. I yeah, think, uh, I think regardless of whether it's a field goal conversion or a touchdown, the other team should get a shot. And I know the pushback on that is, well, the odds stay about the same because then, uh, if you win the toss, you're essentially going to decline then, right? You would, and then if, if they score a touchdown, you would go for it on fourth down. It gives you a, a slight edge, right? You know, you need the touchdown. That's okay with me. So what? Yeah. That's going to add some excitement. It's going to, it's also going to bring coaching strategy more into play. Smarter mm-hmm. coaches and decision makers are going to have an edge because if you do, get the ball first and you go down and score the touchdown, do you go for two? 
you know, you have to, we'd have to dive into that research, see if that makes sense to do that. Will that give you enough of an edge? So there's a lot in play there, but I think we should be giving an edge, especially this day and age to people who are saying like analytics are stupid. I don't need numbers. Like that's, that's so, can I say asinine? Like it's just so old school. Like it's, it's, it's wrong. The teams that are being smart, like Doug Peterson, Sean McVay, these people that are are looking at these analytics, which is just the game tape on paper, you know, uh, should get an edge, and they will if uh, if if you put that kind of strategy in the play or, or t- kind of rule in the play for overtime. So it sounds like you're, so your proposal would be that in, in overtime, each team is allowed to touch the football once, and yes. then it becomes sudden death. No question. Yes. Okay. So my my proposal is why do we need to get to a point where like a team that wins the coin toss still has the edge over has the opportunity for potentially two possessions, where the team that loses it gets only one. Like I think personally, Mike, it needs to be this. A 15-minute quarter where both teams get an equal number of possessions. And if Team A scores on the opening possession and Team B fails to score, game over. Done. Finito. Mm -hmm. If Team A and B match for three straight possessions, we keep going. And I know the fear is health and player safety. And I'm not saying that I am like willing to risk the health and safety of these players. What I am saying is that it is incredibly unlikely that we're going to have a long list of, hey, Eight straight possessions where they do the exact same thing. They're playing an extra quarter and a half or two quarters. More realistically, Mike, it'll probably settle itself within a drive or two for each team. That's how things tend to work in the NFL. We don't score on every single possession back and forth. I think that the best way to do it would be to have, and the only reason why people people will say, well, why even bother having a time limit on the quarter? My answer would be, well, arduous you know weather conditions if there's a big wind at one side of the stadium or the other like you have to have some time where you flip the switch and you go back to the next like you know you go back you go back and forth here so i think it should be equal number of possessions in the playoffs only yeah in the playoffs only yeah and the one thing i will say is i don't like the idea of the going to college rules because that's just coming from me as a I'm biased because I'm in prognostication and we do fantasy rankings. Sure, yeah. That will jack stuff up. If they're getting the ball like the 30, 25 yard line and you see games, so what was that? Uh, was it Texas A&M where it was Texas like 24, 24 and it and ended it up like 72, 69 yeah, or something. Imagine that in fantasy. That I'll would just crazy. totally screw everything up. So. One other thought that I would say about overtime and then we'll talk about the game itself is this, is if we're going to see subtle changes in the overtime scoring, one thing that I would say would make sense is make it so like if, if the NFL is not willing to go as drastic as changing things up entirely like do small things if a ball if there's a touchback give the offense ball at the 20-yard line again you know like mm-hmm. do something that makes it least likely for the offense to score a touchdown on the opening drive merely because it won the coin toss and i, I am not taking a single thing away from the patriots what they did on sunday was nothing short mm-hmm. of brilliant and remarkable tom brady is the unquestioned greatest player of all time bill belichick is the greatest coach i've ever seen I in agree. the history of team sports i am only saying that whether it could have it could have easily been them on the it literally was a coin flip for them to be on the other side of this right Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs scored 31 points in the second half if they got that ball first I think the Patriots probably saying to themselves like oh dang yeah you know, it's, that's tough so I think the NFL needs to modify its overtime rules we both agree upon that but let's get to the game itself because it was awesome it was great the Patriots pitched a shutout in the first half that was 41 31 points is how many points the Chiefs scored Mike. Is it possible that that was the most dominant defensive performance by a team to ever allow 31 points in the game? I think so. I mean, as it's usual, there, right? as usual, the Patriots defense uh, 
uh, underrated throughout the year. I mean, they started off a little soft. We see that all the time. That always yeah. happens as they get, uh, we saw a rotation at edge rusher all season. One week, a guy's inactive. Dietrich Wise played like the whole season was inactive yeah. this week. I mean, you see that rotation, Claiborne in and out of the lineup. John Simon comes out of nowhere and it makes a big impact. So, uh, they, they, Bill Belichick, and that's why I, I, I agree he's the best coach ever and I respect what he does because he makes my job hard. I mean, I could look through receiver cornerback matchup is the best example of this. I go through every week. I could pretty much pinpoint what they're going to do. And throughout the regular season, I could pinpoint them too, right? You know, Gilmore would get sure. the top perimeter guy. We knew he'd get Watkins in this game, but he come, here comes the playoffs and I just throw my hands up in the air. I have no idea what they're going to do in the Super Bowl. I could guess, but these past two games have been way different from the regular season from the most part. And he does this constantly. They have just uh, been terrific on both sides of the ball. The offense went conservative this year, but they still scored about as often as they have the past decade the reason that they didn't get the attention and seemed worse is because it was an offensive explosion other teams kind of passed them out in scoring but they just stayed the same they ran the ball more than they ever have during the Brady Belichick era and it, it, you know when it came down to it in the playoffs they got the job done Mike I think the reason why defensively they are underrated is that because some of the things some of the metrics we latch onto as fans that enjoy defense are not key elements of what the Patriots have done this year defensively right like middle of the pack in terms of Sacks. It's a huge thing. Mm-hmm. They don't have a star pass rusher that's going to get you 15 sacks in a season. Trey Flowers is a star. We just don't realize it because he had seven sacks this year. A lot of their defense is not predicated upon the same principles that other teams play defensively. Let's get to the Chiefs here, Mike, though, because I know it doesn't make Chiefs fans feel any better today. But like when I, I leave that game thinking to myself, like, Patrick Mahomes and this future is so incredibly bright. Schefter reported, Adam Schefter reported on Sunday morning that Patrick Mahomes could be in line next offseason when he's eligible for a $200 million extension. My first thought was, bargain. Yeah, no question. He's, what, 23 years old? I mean, un- yep. unreal. What a season for Mahomes. And, you know, I'm going to spend the offseason. I'm just going to say it now. I mean, I've already tweeted about this a little bit. We've talked about it. I'm going to... St- Spend the offseason being on the negative side just in terms of fantasy value because Relative he's, yeah, he's got to right? come back to earth a little bit. That's fine. He could still score fewer fantasy points and still be one of the, the best players in the NFL, maybe the best player in the NFL uh, over the next few years. That's fine. Uh, but, yeah, I expect big numbers. I mean, just look at this game. Only a 31 pass attempts completed uh, 16, so about 50%. 295 yards, three touchdowns, no picks. He took four sacks. I mean, Tom Brady was picked off twice in this game through one touchdown. And they won the game. You know, I mean, who would have thought Brady would have two picks, Mahomes would have zero, right? And the Chiefs will lose the game. I would not have guessed that. Never, so, never, no, absolutely. So yeah, he looks exceptional. He started slow in this game. Even the best in the league are going to have a, a a poor half. He really delivered the goods in the second half. So I'm with you. The future bright for uh, the Chiefs. They offense. Did, they look like this is so. A lot of the analysis for Kansas City, Mike, is just stating the obvious, right? Yeah, they need to find defensive reparations, and offensively. The challenge for them offensively is this. They have got so many players that so many players are going to need to be paid. Part of what has worked in what Philadelphia has masterfully done, what Los Angeles has masterfully done, Chicago did well this year, is building a roster around the quarterback during the window that the quarterback was paid below the median. When Jared Goff is making, I think, like $8 million this year, which I know sounds like a lot of money, but again, puts him in like the bottom quadrant of quarterback pay this season, well, then you can afford to pay Indomitian Sue $14.5 million. And Andrew Whitworth, a 37-year-old tackle, $12 million. A really good one, by the way. You can do those things. Marcus Peters, you can trade for him. Dante Fowler. So the Chiefs, this is a good problem to have. 
they're just going to have to navigate the roster challenge of building um, you know, a really good roster that's going to include a quarterback that will eventually, eventually make something like $40 million per year. And I've, I don't know if I've said this on this podcast before, but I believe it. I, and, I, and I know that this is like one of those things that people uh, are going to say, like, how many have you got? Like, I think the Chiefs have the best young front office in football, which is a conversation for another time, but they've got a ton of studs. Like, that front office is young, but they've got a bunch of guys that will be GMs elsewhere one day or team presidents one day. So I have a lot of faith in them going forward. Yeah, great coaching staff, too. Say we have one about Andy Reid and, uh, you know, maybe he's not perfect in every way, but he's sure. one of the best one of in the, the best business ever. for sure. And by the way, on the defensive side of the ball, they have some pieces there. You look at, well, Alan Bailey's free agent, but they have Chris Jones. They have Justin Houston. We'll see if they tag D4 to had a breakout season. Uh, Hitchens didn't work out. They brought him in from Dallas. That didn't really but work that's out this year. one of those year. things that, like, I think the people inside the building would tell you a different story. Like, I think they would tell you that, like, I understand that maybe he wasn't, you know, from a public perception standpoint, maybe he wasn't this dominant linebacker, but tackles are sometimes a misleading stat. He had a zillion tackles. I think he was like second or third in the NFL in tackles. And he is like a lead. He is, they needed some guys that they needed some, some, some toughness there. And I think he provided a lot of that, which again, I'm now I'm, I understand. But yeah. Any, anyway, they, you know, they have Fuller, they have Eric Berry. Maybe yep. Hitchens takes another step forward. They have pieces in place that this could be a decent, defense yep. last season by the way we talked really quick about Mahomes maybe coming back to earth a little bit uh you know, part of that was the defense was constantly giving up points he had to throw it a lot 12 star a big 12 style defense yeah, right? if they yeah. if they improve a little bit um that may bring down his numbers but from a fantasy perspective what I'll be watching the running back situation is Damian Williams going to be the lead back will they try to find another gem in the third or fourth round again at running back will they sign somebody we'll keep an eye on that uh, but Damian Williams could be a, a fantasy stud next season Here's if he's the lead back the beauty of running backs in the NFL is that like hey like let's say it's a if you know the, the question for them is do they go out there and find a cornerback well if you're going to find a cornerback you have to, have to pay like 12 million dollars or more a year or you have to draft one in the first round if you want to go out there and find a running back yeah, well, like, follow Mike Clay's pre-draft board when you can find a stud in the fifth round that's going to be good enough and become the next, whether it's a Jordan Howard who you were big on before mm-hmm. he became a really good player for the Bears or whether you were big on Jordan Wilkins this past year. He's going to become Chris a good Carson. player for the Colts and, and Chris Carson. Examples like that. So good yes. after contact, force missed tackles. That's where you got to look. That's where you find, you gotta find these gems. It's easier than value. it looks. Yeah. Yes, no question about that. Before we close on this game, I know Kyle wants to ask a question about overtime. What do you got? Yeah, you guys were talking about the coin toss and wanting – to take out the variability with that. What if the better team just got the ball to start? Like if it, whether it's regular season record, conference record, that way there is an expectation at the end of overtime. People know what's coming. You could handle the last two minutes differently if you need to. I, I never the heard home that team. Thought. Yeah, the home yeah, team. I mean, just, yeah. I mean, you're at home, you're a better seed, right? So yeah, Super Bowl. I really mean, interesting. I oh yeah, Super Bowl's yeah. trickier. Yeah. I hadn't thought uh, about that. Yeah. Um, I guess there's something to it. I mean, you get uh, get a little bit of an edge. I know in like our fantasy game, for example, you have the option of the higher seed gets like plus five points in the playoffs to give them a little bit of an edge. It'd be kind of like that, right? You're just kind of fabricating an edge that has nothing to do with current game, the current game. But I think you just give it to each each side. All right, so let's do this. Uh, I'm with you. I think the idea's got some merit there, Mike. Let's take a quick look. I, it's an inter- I got I got to think more about this one here, Kyle, because I really like the idea. I, I haven't quite figured out exactly how it works, but I'm into that. Let me ask you this, Mike. Um, in we've got a couple minutes left here before we hand the studio over to baseball. Super Bowl mini preview. Game one thing to, game nice. Game one thing to watch on either side of the ball. And if you want to, a prediction. All right, let's do it. Um I'm looking at uh I mean, a lot of offense here. I like the over. <laughs> I have uh I'll give you the prediction right now. Thirty three thirty two Rams. I'm actually going Rams, and, and it's for the reason I kind of laid out earlier. They get into scoring position, and I think they've shown in the playoffs 
against a good defense in Dallas going into New Orleans that they could still score points even if they stumble for a few plays. They, uh, you know, Gurley not being 100% or not playing at, at uh, his normal regular season level has not been a problem for this offense. They run a lot of plays, as does New England. They run the ball plenty. They're, they, we've seen that too, just like New England. They've kind of leaned back on the run, but they score a lot. They get a lot of field goals. Um, and you know what? They've done it without Jared Goff throwing a lot of touchdowns. Look at his passing touchdowns over the past uh, month and, or actually almost two months. One zero zero one four zero one. I mean, they've been doing a lot of it on the ground. Uh, but he's been he's been effective. I know the Patriots have the better quarterback here, but uh, there's so much talent on the defensive side for the Rams. They have a good offensive line, as is New England. I just think they get into scoring positions so often for the past two seasons. I'm going to give them a slight edge, but it's a almost a toss up, right? Here's my uh, prediction. it's very close. I have one prediction. We have 12 more days to the Super Bowl. The Patriots have played in eight with Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. Eight, unbelievable. Yeah. Every single one has been sided by one score or fewer. Isn't that crazy? So yeah. this will be a close one. So throw throw the two teams in a hat. Pick one out. That's, yeah, exactly. You yeah, pick one out. Exactly it's a toss up. Come it's on, crazy. it's, it's going to be a lot of Brady's scoring. Brady's playing in his ninth Super Bowl. That's crazy. I can't. I can't believe it. I you know I uh, in the off season there was so much. There was this narrative that the analysis of the Patriots was here's a list of players they lost and they're going to take a step back. It's over because they lost these guys. You know what was not included with that list field? The players they got. I mean, right. they made some savvy signings. You know, Jason McCourty, uh, Trent Brown. I mean, they, the list goes on and on. They drafted Sony Michelle, uh, who was obviously huge for them down the stretch. They they added a lot of good players. They lost Bentley, their line, rookie linebacker, who was terrific player, yeah. in, really at the beginning of the season. They did a really nice, savvy job. Danny Shelton had a, it was up and down throughout the season. They just did a really nice job. They lost some big names. They quietly brought in a lot of talent. And they're still, they were still one of the better teams on paper, and they showed it. Coach. Best quarterback, best coach. Yep. Well-coached, disciplined, determined. All right, we got to give the studio over to the baseball guys. Mike, thank you again for all that you did for us this season. Thank you to everybody who listened to us throughout the year, downloaded, watched, read, you name it, saw us on television, saw us on Facebook Lives. Thank you for Kyle, Keith, Damian, Luna, uh, who else? Sid. Daniel uh, kind of played a role. Daniel once in a while. every once in a while. Tarika, she was awesome. I think Gabe might have hung out with us one time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matthew, Stefania, of course. We love you guys. Enjoy Tampa Bay. Bring us back some better weather. We'll talk to you guys again at some point soon. I promise you. I don't know when, but it'll be soon. We're not going away for too long. Peace out. Geico knows there are many reasons why you ride. From the camaraderie of the other bikers, a band of brothers always there for you, rain or shine, to the amazing savings you get with Geico on your motorcycle insurance and accessories coverage all year round. But for Bucky Hornhill, it was one reason in particular. It was my helmet hair. I was born with helmet hair. I've tried to cut it a bunch of times, even buzzing it, but it immediately just goes back to helmet hair. Geico Motorcycle. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more.